Harvey, want anything special for your birthday? Just a decent cup of coffee. You're kidding. I'm serious. Honey, your coffee's undrinkable. That's pretty harsh. Well, so's your coffee. I hope you've got yourself a good cup of coffee to ward off the effects of all the tryptophan from all the turkey you're eating this Trogsgiving. Yeah, I called it Trogsgiving because on this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, you're going to hear us talk about the movie Trog. My name is Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. This time around, the opening and closing music of the podcast is provided by the band Zombie Zen Agogo. The song was called The Unnamed, and it's from their self-titled EP. You can find out more about them over at zombiezenagogo.bandcamp.com or just follow the link in the show notes when you're done listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. So, let's talk a little bit about the movie we're talking about this week, but not too much because we're going to really get into it with this week's guest. We are welcoming back to the show Frank Dietz. Frank Dietz is a filmmaker, an author, an artist, a podcaster, and the biggest fan of Trog that I have ever met. His love of this film is legendary, and he's been wanting to talk about this with me here on Monster Kid Radio for quite some time. It's been a while since I've had him on, but you know, I've seen him a couple of times over the years, and every time, Trog comes up. So finally, it's happening. Trog, here on Monster Kid Radio on Thanksgiving Day 2019. Of course, wouldn't be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without Kenny's look at famous monsters of film land and a bedtime story from Professor Frenzy. And we're going to go back to the world of monster collectibles with my man, Dr. Tongue. You ready to do all this? I am. Let's go. Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real, but fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. The time... 1981, a virus from space kills all dogs and cats on the earth. 1985, chimpanzees and gorillas are adopted as pets. The pets evolve into slaves, beaten and tortured victims of mankind. And now, a chimpanzee rises to give the word for the revolt of the apes. My people will plot for the inevitable day of man's downfall. And that day is upon you now! Conquest, the planet of the apes. It's all new, the biggest and most exciting ape picture yet, as a world of apes battles for domination of planet Earth. 
Conquest of the Planet of the Apes from 20th Century Fox. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. The most awesome spectacle in the annals of science fiction. There was mighty Joe Young, the creature from the Black Lagoon, King Kong, and now there is Guanji. Guanji, born 50 million years ago and bursting from the bowels of the earth today to terrorize the West. Guanji, the most mammoth monster of them all, terrifying survivor of a lost era, rampaging through a forbidden land, a land they call the Valley of Guanji. Call it amazing, fantastic, unbelievable, and call it the greatest monster movie ever. The Valley of Guanji, the strangest Western roundup ever, starring James Franciscus, Gila Golan, and Richard Carlson, from Warner Brothers Seven Arts, in exciting Dynamation and Technicolor. The Valley of Guanji is rated G, spectacular entertainment for the whole family. presents Dr. Tong's World of Monster Collectibles, spanning the globe looking for monster goo so you don't have to. Dateline, the internet. It's a short and sweet segment this time around, and a joyous day for all you kaiju fans out there. As Mill Creek has released its first two sets of Blu-rays in the Ultraverse series. Ultra Q and the original Ultraman from 66 have burst onto the store shelves already, with the return of Ultraman and my favorite in the series, Ultra 7, following up close behind. Also just released are a couple of newer heroes sporting the silver and red, Ultraman Orb and Ultraman Geed. And as highlighted in MKR's last episode, Alpha Video, known for their bargain basement B-Classics, has released a series of DVDs featuring Cinema Insomnia's Mr. Lobo, who serves as your host through some really terrible movies. With the holidays coming up, might I suggest Santa Claus versus the Martians edition to really tie that season together. In the people out there with really deep pockets category, Stern Pinball has announced the newest in its line of themed machines, Elvira's House of Horrors. This newest pin joins Elvira's previous machines, Elvira and the Party Monsters and Scared Stiff, showcasing the horror host diva in all her glory. The House of Horrors does feature several B-movie characters in the game, and looking over the list, it makes me want to pony up the eight grand for the low-end model. Some of the titles featured are Bucket of Blood, The Manster, Attack of the Giant Leeches, The Brain That Wouldn't Die, Killer Shrews, Ega, and many, many more. These should be popping up in an arcade near you very soon. Artist Spotlight This new artist I have just discovered is a man after my own heart. Brian Falk, under the guise of Last Resort Toys, has made some pretty amazing pieces over the last few years. For those of you that are into vintage toy lines, Last Resort should be right up your alley as well. Having done large size reproductions of the creatures from 80's Trash Bag Bunch, as well as a humongo giant version of the Frog Akuta figure from the Arco Otherworld line, not only does Mr. Folks resize old cool toys, he also creates figures from his own imagination. Check out his run amuck line of minifigures. The one that caught my eye was the Coffin Coffin. 
Now remember back a few months when I did a vintage segment on the Diener Space Creature Monster Erasers? Last Resort must have been listening in because their current Kickstarter campaign is to fund manufacture of a large size vinyl figure of one of those critters. The winged amphibian monster, the one that loosely resembles the creature from the really crappy B-movie, and I do mean that in a really good way, Destination Inner Space. I can proudly say I have backed this project and am looking forward to holding this little fella in my own hands. Do a search on Kickstarter for Last Resort Toys or look for them on Instagram under the same name. Look for the logo of a cowboy hat wearing robot riding a nuclear bomb Major Kong style. Doc wholeheartedly endorses all of this. Vintage Monster Toys! Mark's Toys was a major badass company in toy manufacturing for over 60 years, from 1919 until their demise in the early 1980s. And the monster toys they produced during the late 50s to the mid 70s are still highly sought after by collectors today. Classic toys like the 6 inch tall plastic monster assortment, which I covered several months back, come to mind. And then there are the several battery operated toys Mark's imported and put their brand name on, the Mighty Kong the Hooten Hollow Haunted House, the Whistling Trees, the Abominable Snowman, and the Great Guru, which I also covered in an earlier episode, as well as many, many more. But there is one Mark's battery-operated toy in particular that is at the top of every monster collector's want list. Released in 1964, the Mark's battery-operated Frankenstein, standing a smidge over 12 inches tall, is ominous and spectacular in its design. The metal body is a thing of beauty, from his lithoed black suit down to his long gangly arms. As far as the controls on this bad boy, there is a four button controller that operates six different commands, walk, bend over, then back up, and then the arms open and close, meaning this monstrosity can pick up small items and terrorize them. Then there is the vinyl molded head and outstretched hands that finish off this feat of toy engineering just right. Now there is a variation on this toy, and we need to look at his shoes. There was a black-footed version and a brown-booted one. The brown is the more rare and desirable of the two, and as such, but I do prefer the black-shoed version myself. This is an officially licensed Universal toy, and it is printed right on the butt of the figure. This mechanical monstrosity was even a TV star, all but briefly. In the episode of the Munsters called Rockabye Munster, Herman thinks Morticia is pregnant and mistakes the toy Frankenstein as his newborn son, and hijinks ensue. And speaking of toy babies, Marks also made a couple of different wind-up versions of Frankie as well, just like they did with the Great Garlou. The first one is in the likeness of the large battery-op toy, while the other is a goofy weirdos-looking Frank modeled after what looks like the monster hot rod figures that were big at the time, made by the likes of Big Daddy Ed Roth and Stanley Mouse. Collector prices on this big bad boy are up there just due to his iconic look and the subject matter of the toy. For a junker, look to pay upwards of 300 bucks. For a working model with an original box, the sky's the limit. And as usual, there are reproduction boxes out there, so please be careful when making that purchase. If the price seems too good to be true, it probably is. Now, a little bit of an announcement. I'm going away for a bit, as this was my last segment for a little while. The holiday season is fast approaching, and well, sir, I run a vintage toy store. And being the chief cook, bottle washer, and the only elf in the workshop, my time is rather tight. Thanks again to Derek for giving me a platform to blather about. Hats off to Professor Frenzy and Kenny for their contributions, and a big thank you to you out there, the listeners. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here doing what we love. 
This is Mark, Dr. Tongue Peterson, wishing you all a happy holidays. I'm out. See you on the other side. Move on. I just want to say thank you to Mark for providing us with these every other week segments. I've loved it. I've loved putting it together. I love doing all the post production on the segments and presenting them to the listeners. And you know, Monster Kid Radio is not going to be the same without you, brother. I know why you're taking the break. I mean, it's the holiday season and you're on a toy store. It's going to be a busy time of year for you. So when things settle back down, you know, you've always got a home back here on MKR. If you want, I'll keep your seat warm or the spot at the table open or, or what, whatever. Anyway, Mark, thanks for being part of the show and happy holidays to you, sir. Watch out for them. A menace never known to man or beast before an endless horde of crawling, crushing, gigantic creatures. So horrifying, there was no word to describe them. Watch out for them. Watch out for Warner Brothers' screaming new shock sensation, them. Yes, I saw them. They were huge and scaly, and they had gigantic jaws, and and then one came at me. Kill one, and two take its place. This is the endless onslaught of them, clawing up out of the earth from mile-deep catacombs. See them! The most astounding journey into terror ever taken. Starring James Whitmore, Edmund Gwen, Joan Weldon, and James Arnett. Them! It is safe to state that the grandchildren of some of the people in this theater will not be born on Earth. come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead, zombies guided by a master plan for complete domination of the earth. Plan 9 from outer space. Starring the most frightmarish cast ever, Bella Lugosi, the seductive vampire, and Thor Johnson as the walking dead. Turn off your electro-gun! No! No! Stop him, Dennis! I can't get it! It's jammed! Stop him, you fool! Bullets bounce off their bodies. Rockets, missiles, jets cannot stop their death ships. What earthly power can stop this terror? For a glimpse of things to come, see this blast of screen suspense. For it could be happening right now. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, 
And my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Hindu. Podcast. Syndrome. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Welcome to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you a story from EC Horror Comics. Today's story is Ghost Ship. It's from the Crypt of Terror number 19, the August-September issue from 1950. It was written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by Al Feldstein. So sit back and relax while I tell this ghostly tale. Don and his new wife, Carol, are flying in a small propeller plane over the ocean. They're going to honeymoon in Bermuda. There's a fog bank up ahead, and Don tries to fly over the bank, but it's too much for the plane. The engine conks out, and the two prepare for a crash landing at sea. Luckily, there's a raft in the plane, and the pair are able to get into it. They are stranded for two days in the ever-present fog with no food or water. They'll die out here if they aren't rescued. Finally, in the distance, they see a ship. As they get closer to it, they see that the sails are tattered. It's a ghost ship. There's a light on in one of the windows, and they get under the window to call for help, but there's no response. They find a rope and climb on board, hoping for food and water. They look through a window to the lighted room and see a hooded figure reading a book. But when they make their way to the room, there's no one there. The book on the table is the ship's log. When they read it, they realize that this was a pirate ship run by a Captain Henry Dragoon in 1853. The crew believed Dragoon had stolen some of their plunder, and a mutiny was led by one Charles Groggins. Dragoon was made to walk the plank, but before he went into the drink, he cursed the crew, vowing to return to his command. Then he went to his watery doom. The crew searched for the secret treasure, but found nothing. They took their displeasure out on Groggins and hung him from the mast. The winds died down, and they were stranded at sea, suddenly tangled in seaweed. After days, most of the crew left in small boats. Only a few were left behind, led by one John Bates. A storm finally came, but the ship was too tangled to budge. The men finally starved to death. Don then read the final entry. It said, the ship is mine again, and it was signed Captain Henry Dragoon. Wild. Suddenly, the pair heard a foghorn and went to the deck. A tanker was coming right at them. They cried out for help, but the ship didn't notice them. Finally, it ran right through the pirate ship, which was clearly just a ghostly apparition. 
The couple made their way down to the raft and cried out to the tanker, which finally took notice of them and brought them aboard. The tanker's captain didn't see no ghost ship and suggested the pair get some rest from being stranded at sea. The end. I hope you enjoyed that creepy story. I have a soft spot for ghost pirate stories. This one is especially chilling. I really loved the panels aboard the pirate ship back in the past. And in the present, there are skeletons on the ship, which raises the eerie factor times 100. The art is typical Feldstein. The honeymooning couple are a handsome pair, and the ship looks gray and forlorn. It's very effective. This story really worked for me. If you're interested in a copy of Tales from the Crypt Volume 1, the book can be purchased on Amazon, and you can find a link to buy it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed the story. My name is Jerry Green, and you can find me on my podcast, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics. And on the same feed, we have Memory Minute Monday, a nostalgia podcast, and Frenzy Peace Theater, where we recap and discuss classic comic book stories. You can also catch me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy, and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube, where you can find The Professor Frenzy Show and some exciting projects we have coming up. Stay tuned, and thanks for listening. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. Ponga. Not since King Kong has the screen exploded with such mighty fury. Defying bullets, bombs, rockets, standing a hundred feet tall, sending an entire civilization into panic. Conga, in color and spectimation. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? <laughs> People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but... There are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. <laughs> oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. <laughs> that sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at OrphanEntertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see. One of the most shattering scenes ever filmed. Just one of many in a shocker calculated to drive you berserk. nightmare of suspense pushes you closer and closer to your shock limit as Joan Crawford finds menace in every shadow, fear in every footstep. limit before you enter the theater. Answer yes or no. Skull splintering spikes shatter my calm. Saw teeth savagely slashing a girl apart rip my nerves. 
I get stabbing pains when I see a victim fall on naked bayonets. I get dizzy watching a garroted body swinging. If you can't say no, you see Berserk at your own risk. Dracula has risen from the grave. Boy, does he give a hickey. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today's film, Trog, was not featured in FM, but its glamorous star was. Joan Crawford passed away May 10, 1977, and Famous Monsters 138 from October of that year paid tribute to her with a three-page obituary with four photos, including one from today's movie. Here's what they had to say about Miss Crawford. Fifty years ago, the rising young actress who was born Lucille Lesseur played opposite the star who was born Leonard Frank Chaney. In other words, Lon Chaney's leading lady in The Unknown, 1927, was Joan Crawford. In May, she passed away. In her years before the camera from 1928 to 1969, she made approximately 65 films, winning an Oscar in 1945 for her memorable performance in Mildred Pierce. A longtime fan of FM, now a professional journalist, Samuel James Maroney, wrote us upon her death. Perhaps this letter is needless, but I do hope you intend to give Joan Crawford's much-lamented death some coverage. The fact that she once acted in a film with Lon Chaney Sr., The Unknown, and appeared in several psychological horror films certainly merits her inclusion. While films like Berserk and Trog did little to enhance her screen image during her declining years, she certainly did perform well in Block's Straight Jacket, Baby Jane, and would have done well in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte if she had not taken ill and had to be replaced. I never met Miss Crawford, but admired her very, very much from afar. She graciously autographed a photo of herself for me during the last few months of her life, and I'll treasure it always. Just as the greats of the horror films are nearly gone, so too are the stars of the mundane movie world. At least she will be remembered 25 to 50 years from now, much longer than any of the current stars of today who can only make it as far as their public relations agency will take them. Hope Joan gets properly remembered in FM. We remind our readers that in addition to the films instanced by her admirer Maroney, she also appeared in such pictures of interest to FM's audience as A Woman's Face with the great Conrad Veidt, Circus of Blood, William Castle's I Saw What You Did, Sudden Fear, and Hollywood Review of 1929 with the famous Lon Chaney's Gonna Get You If You Don't Watch Out Weird Mask musical number. Robert Block was a friend not only of Boris Karloff, but Joan Crawford as well. And he tells us, as an actress, she was dedicated to her profession. As a private person, she was dedicated to her friends. It was my good fortune to know her in both of these roles. Joan Crawford was indeed a great star, but what I truly treasure is the memory of a warm-hearted, generous, and genuinely great woman. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. This is Count Dracula. 
and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. I haven't had him on the show in a long time. In fact, I don't remember when the last time was. It's been that long. But I've seen him a couple of times at a couple of screenings, and I hear him all the time because he's one of the damn dirty geeks. Frank Dietz, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio. Thank you very much, Derek. I am always, always happy to be on Monster Kid Radio. Uh, I've enjoyed the other times. I think... We did a King Kong episode and I and, oh, and yeah. uh, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula episode, I think, right? That's right, yeah. And those were a while ago. It's been quite a while. You know, whenever I have somebody who's been on the show before, like a long time ago, I should go in and double check what episode number they were in. I'll just put it in the show notes this time around if you want to hear more Frank by the time you're done with this conversation, listeners. Because I'm sure you're going to want to hear more from Frank. Because we're talking about one of the best movies ever today. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Uh, we're going to talk about Trog. Yes. Yes. Trog. Oh, boy. It is one of my, you know, I don't I don't really like to use the term guilty pleasures because I don't feel guilty at all. <laughs> right. Um, I, and I'll, let me give you a little background about it. OK. I grew up in the 60s, 70s. I was a kid in the 60s and, and sort of a teenager in the 70s. And so. There was a lot of movies that I saw in the movie theater when they came out and had such an impact on me because, first of all, it was in a movie theater and on a big screen. And this is before they had multiplexes and everything like that. There was one just one screen <laughs> and movies back then were events. They were a big deal, like when a movie showed up on television, it was a huge event because we didn't have DVDs and we didn't have VHSs. And, and, you know, we live in a world now of instant gratification where if we want to watch a movie, we just go to the shelf and take it off the shelf and watch it or stream it or whatever. But sure. back then, to be able to see anything was a big deal. And being a monster kid, anything I could get my hands on, especially movies, especially movies that, that were coming out in the movie theater. They were new movies. They weren't on television yet. And so... There's a lot of movies that I saw at that time that left a definite scar. <laughs> sometimes they're good <laughs> scars. Sometimes they're good scars. Sometimes they're not. Now, Frank Darabont and David Scow used to talk about what we called the magic window. Okay. And the magic window were those movies that you saw in a certain time in your life that left this in, this incredible impression on you and have stayed with you throughout the years. And so a lot of the movies from the late 60s, early 70s are in my magic window. Okay. The Valley of Guanji is one that immediately comes to mind. Dracula Has Risen from the Grave is one that comes to mind. These are movies that just hit me at the right time. And this is also back when, you know, before the internet where... Monster Kids didn't have a lot of places to go for information and for other Monster Kids. You know, so that's why these movies were so, part of the reason these movies were so important. Now, some of those movies 
<laughs> are very good movies. And Frank Darabont always warns, he says, you know, when you go back to revisit these movies, you do so at your own peril because they may not be the sweeping epics that you recall from your childhood. I think that he, he <laughs> I think he pointed out, he pointed out a couple of them. He said to me, the conquest of the planet of the apes wasn't this gigantic, amazing movie that he thought it was. It was actually more like conquest of about two blocks of the planet of the apes, you know, oh, no. and, and then the Blackula was a movie that burned in his mind this imagery of the movie Blackula, and then he went back to watch it again as an adult, and it turns out it's not that good and not really that scary either. But those movies definitely leave craters in the surface of your brain. And sure, I even made up a poster that I have hanging in my office. It's about 20 movie posters from that era. You know, and the cool thing back then, too, was that a lot of them were paintings. Posters were were artwork back oh, then yeah. instead of photographs as they are now. Oh, yeah. Um, and so some of them are, you know, are super cool. The Towering Inferno poster is like an incredible, incredible poster. Oh, it's gorgeous. Now, so Trog was a movie that came out in 1970. And it was a Herman Cohen production. And Herman Cohen was a producer. His movies were... Not great. They sometimes were very well made. Herman Cohen was responsible for Conga, which is another movie that features Michael Goff and mm -hmm. uh, has an ape in it or an ape-like character in it. And also uh, Michael Goff, again, He, I think uh, Herman Cohen produced Horrors of the Black Museum. If I'm not, I might be mistaken about that, but I'm pretty sure. No, he did. He was one of the executive producers on it. You're right. Okay, there you go. So um, so Herman Cohen, I, I don't think really cared that much about how good the script was. <laughs> <laughs> and Trog, uh, Trog was just one of those movies that it appealed to me immediately because of number of elements. Number one, it's a classic monster movie. It follows the same formula that goes all the way back to like King Kong. It's like Revenge of the Creature. It's like there's a whole bunch of movies that are like this where it, the plot is very similar. A monster is discovered or a creature is discovered, then it's captured, then it's studied, then eventually it escapes, and finally it's killed. I mean, it's that it's those five plot points, basically. <laughs> and there's lots of movies like that, and Trog fits right in with those tropes. So I liked it right away. It wasn't until it was on television that it really started to appeal to me. I don't really have a, I know I saw it in the movie theater, but maybe I was distracted or something like that. But it wasn't until it was on television late at night on the CBS late movie in New York was Channel 2. And they would show it at 1130 at night and they would cut it to ribbons. Oh, man. Cut out all the gore. Right. But I knew there was gore because I remembered it from the movie theater and also from photos in, you know, famous monsters of Filmland magazine. And there was a castle film version of it, too. Maybe not castle, but, you know, the Super 8. Oh, yeah. Little reels that they used to do one right? of the little condensed versions that they would put out. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But still, just to be able to watch it again was an event. It was a thrill. 
you know, it was a big, colorful, stupid movie. I didn't think it was stupid back then. Nowadays, <laughs> I, I think it's, a, it's pretty stupid, but it does have its good points also. I, I, I will defend it to a certain degree. Okay. I love it across the board. There's so much about it I love. I recognize what's wrong with it, but I still find great joy in watching this movie. And I want to comment on something you said earlier about the guilty pleasure yeah. thing. And and that that was a, a term that I used to throw around a lot until a few years ago when, you know, it occurred to me, no, I mean, there's no guilt here. I love what I love. And I'm going to talk about it with anybody that wants to talk about it here on the podcast or in person or whatever. You know, yeah. don't don't if you love it, love it, man, you know, and it might be quote unquote, a bad movie. But if it makes you smile, if you have a good time watching it, then it's a good movie and, and, you know, love it for what it is. And I had a blast watching Trog. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I purposely held off watching Trog until I knew we were going to record. I had never seen it before today. I watched it this morning for the very first time. And (laughs) wow, it's, 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 um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Again, like you, I used to say guilty pleasure and I don't anymore. And I think that changed when I was talking with my friend Dana Gould, who's a comedian, but also a, a, mon- a big time monster. Kid. Sure. And he was talking about how he has this profound love for Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh, man, that movie's and, fantastic. And he has expressed that love in many different ways. In fact, just two weeks ago, I saw for the fifth time I went to see him perform a staged reading of plan nine from outer space down here in LA where he gets uh, his comedian friends to play the different characters. So, you know, he gets Bobcat Goldwaith and uh, uh, Jonah Ray and all these other people to play the different parts. And it's hilarious and it's done with such love. And I watch Dana while he's performing it and, and just, I see the love in his face and, and, <laughs> and watching him laugh with the audience and, I think that when I saw how much Dana from the get go, how much the movie meant to him, that he did not look at that movie as as guilty at all. Sure. And that's, I think, when I started to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I don't really feel guilty about loving Irwin Allen's The Lost World. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, sure. I, I, I love it for what it is. So just like you were saying. And so I, I don't use that guilty pleasure term anymore they're just pleasures sure and you know to to kind of piggyback on the plan nine thing you're talking to somebody who's co-producing a a plan nine by nine podcast where we look at the movie nine minutes at a time so i mean i understand totally where he would be coming from and i really ought to talk to him and see if i can get him on the show about it but i digress Uh, (laughs) i'll I'll talk to him okay all right cool cool yeah he's you know any chance he has he has to talk about Plan Nine. He will he usually does uh, agree to it. So right on. Um, not to put him on the spot, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> right on. Yeah. So what do you like better than Frank Trog or Plan Nine? Oh boy, that's that's tough. I probably probably like Trog more only because I feel like Trog is more sort of mine. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I'll let Dana have plan nine, right? But you know, it's so funny. I actually was thinking about this today uh, in driving in the car that Dana does these great, these these hilarious stage readings. And I have a group that I work with down here in LA called Scripts Gone Wild, where we have been doing that sort of thing also with movies like Beetlejuice 
and we did Zombie Nightmare, which was a movie I was in many years ago, and we did Scream. I was thinking to myself, well, maybe, maybe Trog would be fun to do Ooh. as a stage reading along the same lines with bringing in some comedians or, or, you know, well-known actor friends of my own to, you know, to, to play Joan Crawford and Michael Goff and so forth, you know, man, you could have fun with that Michael Goff character too. That would be a blast. Yes. Well, I'll get to him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we'll we'll, we'll get get to him. We'll get to him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Horrible. Please try to describe it. Like nothing I've ever seen before. Travel back with us to the beginning of time when giant reptiles thunder defiance and man is yet unborn. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons trapped in a dark subterranean cavern its frozen fury preserved in suspended animation. It comes silently screaming through the ages. This terrifying half-human monster awakens at last, awakens now to vent its murderous wrath on you. the risk this kill crazy fiend from hell must be destroyed you may want to hide you may want to forget what you see but you can't you can't escape Trog opens with a very nice score by the way the, the music is very it's is really, really nice. good I, I i immediately scrambled when i first started hearing it during the opening credits to see if it was available anywhere online. I would love to own this score. The music's fantastic. It really is. It's, it is one of the good things. Mm-hmm. One of the good things about Trog. <laughs> so by John Scott is the composer on that. <laughs> but it opens up with these three fellows on a British countryside. I guess they're cave uh, explorers. They're young men. And they are looking for one kind of cave. And they discover a hidden cave, which is not really all that hidden. It's just behind a couple of well-placed uh, studio bushes. Um, <laughs> it's, supposed, it's so funny because it's supposed to be a cave that nobody's ever seen before, but it was like literally behind two, like a hedge. It was like, <laughs> right. It's not that hard. Like, to, yeah. It's pretty much right there, you know? <laughs> so these guys who, you know, they're, they've got all the right equipment and everything like that. And they, they decided they're going to explore this brand new cave that nobody's ever been in before. They go down into the cave, and, and I must say, too, that the cave sets are pretty cool. Sure. They actually look like caves, which they might be. I don't know. I tried to find out where, you know, you know they filmed it all in England, obviously, and sure. a lot of it is, is on the soundstage and on location, but it doesn't say anything about any places where they were actually shooting in caves. But yeah. the but was the actual location? I mean, you shot on location, but, what loca- but uh, Bray Studios yeah. is where they shot a lot of the set stuff a lot of it looks like part of it is a real cave where they they took these sort of golden looking stalactites and glued them the stalactites are this this very strange golden color while the rest of the cave is this blue which you know 
as far as color combinations go, that's that's quite nice, actually. Sure. But this cave is all kind of like sparkly looking. And what I'm saying is I've seen a lot of bad caves in movies that are obviously chicken wire and plaster and, you know, and, sure. Uh, but this actually looked like a cave. It was pretty cool. And there's a, there's a little like river that runs uh, through part of it and they keep going deeper and deeper. And we don't really get a sense of, of who they are other than they're just these students who enjoy spelunking or whatever you call it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's their hobby. Um, it's okay. <laughs> right. So one of the guys decides that he's going to go into the even more unexplored part of the cave and to get to that, he has to go through this uh, underground river. He strips off his clothes and he and he gets down in there and he finds his way all the way through. And then the other friend decides that he's going to go. And the one smart kid decides that he's not going to. He's supposed to be the leader, by the way. This is the guy who's like leading them. And he's like, no, you guys go. I'm not going. I'm staying right here. You guys are idiots. Well, the first guy gets all the way through. As he's walking around, he sees a lizard which means that there's life inside this cave, which is supposed to be like a million years old. And they're all excited, like, oh, my God, we are the first people in this cave. Well, not really, because there's already another person in the cave or he's not really a person. We see this shadowy thing move past the camera and suddenly jumping out in front of the guy is Trog. Now, Trog <laughs> is supposed to be a troglodyte. Uh-huh. <laughs> He is played by an actor named Joe Cornelius, and it is one of the most fun things about this movie to me. And it's one of the things that is most made fun of. Hmm. Uh, and that is the look of Trog. He's supposed to be a troglodyte, and he has a furry, you know, like rabbit fur shorts <laughs> and rabbit fur boots. He has long, scraggly black hair. He's got little tufts of hair on the backs of his hands that are glued on there rather haphazardly. But for the most part, he's not very hairy. Then he's got this face. Now, a lot of people, <laughs> it's, an, it's this ape-like face, and a lot of people think that it is just a leftover mask from Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. It does look very much like one of those masks. So for years, everybody was saying, oh, they just, they just, you know, they just grabbed uh, a leftover mask from that movie. Well, that's not actually true. Okay. The truth is that the mechanics of one of the masks uh, was done by one of the same guys who worked on 2001. Ah. And that apparently was found in one of the producer's garages. And so he just basically rebuilt it and made it to fit Joe Cornelius. Okay. So it, it isn't, in fact, and, and I don't remember who discovered this information, by the way, but it's documented in a, an issue of Little Shop of Horrors magazine. That was not too long ago, wasn't it? That it was not too yeah. long ago. But um, I don't remember who the researcher was. He did a, an amazing job, and I apologize to him now for not remembering his name. But he really did his research, and he was the one who actually discovered this and, and, and called it out as one of the myths about Trog. But, you know, I could see why, because it does look very similar. And it's got some great mouth movement. Uh, the lips move really well. But part of the problem with it is that the color of the skin of the mask is this sort of this weird bluish-gray color, while... The rest of Joe Cornelius's, you know, mostly exposed body is sort of Caucasian skin color. 
So he's a white guy up to the neck, and then he's a blue ape from the, the, from the chin up. <laughs> right. And I got to say that he's actually, he's a pretty good suit performer. Sure. He lopes and he moves very ape-like. Uh, it's not to the extent of somebody like Rick Baker or, or Tom Woodruff or, you know, somebody like that. But he's not bad. He's not bad. And he definitely works the mouthpiece very well. And he makes these noises. <laughs> it doesn't sound like any kind of an ape. It sounds more like, oh, I don't know, a baby goat that's caught in a trap or something. Uh <laughs> I have to comment on that, too. Uh, like yeah, I said yeah. earlier, this was the first time I had watched it. I watched it uh, in the living room. Uh, my cat Wednesday was out in the living room with me, and she watches television with me, and she's one of the few cats I've owned that actually is transfixed by the TV. But every time Trog would make a sound, she freaked out. There was something about that sound that just triggered my cat Wednesday. Uh, she ears up, looking at the screen, getting ready to jump at it. I've never seen her do that before. Wow, that's very... Interesting. Well, probably be very interesting to find out how they created that noise. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Joe Cornelius making that noise. I'm sure it was this, it was looped in later, 80 yard later. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and, you, you know, it's like a lot of famous monsters. They take a combination of different animals to create a, a roar. I think one of the most famous ones is uh, Gorgo, which apparently was part elephant and part bus. Uh, it was like a, a bus backwards or so, some kind of trolley or something like that, which is kind of <laughs> fascinating. It, it's very possible that your your cat was triggered because somewhere in that noise that they created for Trog, there's an animal noise in there that your cat responded to. Yeah, there's something in there. And I've been doing a lot of Foley and sound work on films lately. So now I really want to know what they did to create that sound. You know, there's nothing on the Internet Movie Database, and some of these older films, it's hard to find some of that information anyway. But I'd love to know what the sound of Trog was, because if nothing else, I'd mess with my cat a little bit more. But anyway, um, <laughs> she doesn't listen to the podcast. I can say that. Trog appears, and he immediately he beats the first guy to death. Trog's big thing is, for the most part, is he just, he just sort of beats people with his fists and, and kills them that way. And the second guy, he finds his friend there, and his friend is dead. And so he goes back out through the water to the other friend. He says, oh, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. Then we cut to a hospital. Uh, it's not a, a regular hospital. It's some kind of research lab there, mm -hmm. uh, which happens to be, I guess, quite close to the cave that had never been discovered before. <laughs> and Joan Crawford, uh, in her very last film, plays Dr. Brockton who is the head of this research laboratory, and she is an anthropologist. And apparently the leader of the expedition of the cave explorers brought his wounded friend to this research laboratory because it was close by. Sure. And the friend is in shock. He's not really wounded. He's, he's in shock. And almost immediately, the police inspector arrives there. So now we are, we're very quickly, we're introduced to a whole bunch of the main characters. So you got... Dr. Brockton, Joan Crawford, you've got her daughter, who I guess doesn't seem to know much about any kind of science, but is there. There's the young man who was the leader of the expedition. We've already met him. And then there's the cranky police inspector. <laughs> and it's the thing about movies 
back then, especially the British movies, they almost always had a cranky police inspector. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. Always the police inspector. He's irritated with everybody. He's irritated with his subordinates. He's irritated with the, the way that the investigation is going. He's just <laughs> cranky about everything. I mean, there is probably at least a dozen movies that have the same exact character. Not always played by the same guy, but it's the same character. Right. 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 In fact, Thorley Walters is a, a British character actor worked a lot back then, shows up later in this movie, and he has played a surly, cranky police inspector <laughs> in other movies. So so I guess they, they just split the, the parts up. They just kind of trade but, back and forth. So for the next few minutes of this movie, everybody's sort of arguing about what happened. Everyone's talking about thing that's down there that nobody has seen because the only guy who saw it died but they're talking about it like it's already some big threat, even though nobody has seen it or knows what it is. Right? <laughs> it's, it's really kind of ridiculous. So the cranky police inspector is just like he wants to know a murder has happened. But of course, they don't even have a body. Right. <laughs> because the body is still back in the cave. Right. So Joan Crawford decides that she needs to go into the cave the young man, the leader of the expedition, he leads her in back into the cave. Mm-hmm. She's got her camera with her. And at one point they find a, like a hole in the wall of the cave. And it just so happens that when she sticks her camera in there and takes a photo, she gets a full bright flash picture of Trog lifting up a rock about to throw it. <laughs> She brings it to the uh, the police inspector. See, there's a missing link in the cave, right? <laughs> because of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> and he doesn't believe it. He thinks it's a it's a college prank. <laughs> but eventually, he guess he he gives in. All right, well, I guess we better go into the cave or whatever. Now all the press is there, and all the neighbors are outside of this cave that nobody discovered until now. Everyone's getting ready to film inside the cave, right? Sure. Of course. And this is where the movie really just takes off for me. Because arriving on the scene of this sort of chaotic situation where they're waiting to see what's going to come out of the cave. Arriving on the scene is the local real estate developer, Sam Murdoch, (laughs) played by the wonderful Michael Goff. Oh, he's so good in this. Oh, my God. He's so good. Look, he was he was a classically trained actor. He was, you know, he appeared in the old Vic. He, mm-hmm. he, he he was a good actor. He was an excellent actor. One of the things what he, that he just excelled at was playing these nasty, over-the-top villains. He did it in a whole bunch of movies. In Conga, he's the scientist who turns a little chimp into a giant gorilla mm-hmm. uh, in Horrors of the Black Museum. He's this sort of mad genius who it, it creates these torture uh, devices. Horror Hospital, he plays this insane creator of these zombie people in this hospital. And what I love about him is that he delivers his lines, especially in Trog, he delivers his lines like a spitting cobra. Like every line is just like hissing and spitting and just like, you people will all be killed in your beds. This is a monster and it should be destroyed. 
Like, uh, he is just so, so over the top. And I love every minute of it. So he shows up and he's he's barking at the police inspector and at everybody who will listen about how it's all a hoax and it's going to ruin the value of the real estate in the area. And it's it's pretty obvious that nobody in the entire town likes him <laughs> because he's just so <laughs> nasty. Uh, so he's there to just to just basically be a nuisance and to irritate people and to and to make a hissy fit about pretty much everything he can. In the meantime, they've got this this live feed set up and they're down in the cave and suddenly they're like, oh, there's a commotion. And 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 coming up out of the the, the underground stream is Trog. And he's he's already killed a frog man who's who's gone in there. And he climbs out and he starts and he starts like destroying the light and everything inside of the cave. And they're like, oh, my God, he's coming up. And, <laughs> and he comes outside <laughs> into the bright sunlight, which he hasn't seen in, according to what they say, a million years. He's there. He is right out in, in the sun and and he, he's blinded by it momentarily. But then he just starts throwing things at people, throwing rocks. And, and it's really funny. There's the cameraman. I guess that they didn't want to take the chance of of hurting an actual video camera. So the cameraman that Trog attacks is holding this <laughs> this camera that I swear to god looks like it was it's it looks like it's just painted cardboard. <laughs> because then, you know, Trog has to like pick up one of Trog's big things is picking up rocks and throwing rocks cuz you know, back in the troglodyte days that's what you did. Sure. <laughs> Probably one of your jo- one of the better jobs to get right to throw rocks. I'm guessing. <laughs> so he beats up a couple of the reporters, and everybody's screaming and running now. And Doctor Brockton, she goes to her car very calmly and and grabs a dart gun and shoots Trog. So we're gonna bring Trog now to the research lab and begin to study him because now we're into that segment of that the the classic five segments of of monster moviedom so immediately they they start a bonding with him mm-hmm. um this is very funny too they bring in some reporters to show him in his cage and and how he's behaving and and he's getting used to his surroundings there at the lab and they're feeding him <laughs> and i think it's a daughter who says something about like what are we what are we feeding him and dr brockton is like well trog is not carnivorous so we're feeding him fish and lizards. And I'm like... I thought that was odd. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, lizards? That would make him carnivorous, actually, wouldn't it? Yeah. I was like... Um, <laughs> That's me. Right? Yeah. That's not... Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so okay. I, this makes me start really question, question uh, uh, Joan Crawford's uh, actual scientific knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> at this point. Um, then they're, they're they're giving him toys to play with and and there's one little doll there's a, there's a little blonde doll that he particularly likes and he's he's behaving himself he's being quite nice until until they bring in the reporters and of course Sam Murdoch is there also doing his usual saying there's a monster it should be destroyed it should be this and that <laughs> um, and, and now it's not a hoax anymore. Now he's just like, it's a monster and it's going to bring down, you know, real estate prices and so forth. So everything's going fine. And then they pull the, the you know, it's been done in countless movies. Oh, like yeah. I was just waiting Kong, for it. Right for 
the one stupid reporter yep. who takes a flash photograph. And of course, the flash photograph makes Trog, ah, you know, mm-hmm. freak out and everybody <laughs> runs. And, and there's a great shot of Michael Goff as he he just sort of turns toward the camera with this. It's a, He doesn't break the fourth wall, but he almost does with this like smug, like smirk on his face. Like, you know, like, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, right. I told you. So, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So they have then they have to go to court. Because, uh, you know, people are complaining about it, especially Sam Murdoch is complaining. And, and that's where we, we see Thorley Walters. In this film, he's playing a magistrate. So he's the judge and he has to uh, determine if it's OK for Dr. Brockton to continue her studies. And, and you know, is, is it going to be safe and so forth? And and uh, he's constantly having to tell Michael Goff's character to to shut up. Uh, <laughs> Which, which I love. Oh, yeah, I do, too. I was, yeah. Can't, Sam Murdoch cannot help himself. He keeps blurting out some nasty remark, and, and the magistrate is just like, I warn you again, Mr. Murdoch, if you say one more thing, I shall have you removed from this court. And uh, <laughs> finally, they decide that it's okay for Joan Crawford to proceed. They decide they're going to experiment on Trog, and they're going to bring in these other scientists from around the world and it, it's great. One of the other movies that Joan Crawford did very late in life uh, was also another Herman Cohen production just two years or so before Trog. Uh, it was a movie called Berserk. Okay. Also had Michael Goff in it. Right. That was a movie about where she was a, she owned a circus where these murders start happening. And in Trog, one of the scientists that they bring in to help study Trog is this little Russian lady. And I remembered even when I was little recognizing her from Berserk, where she played the bearded lady in the circus. (laughs) So they bring in her and they bring in a guy from France and they bring in uh, Robert Hutton plays an American uh, surgeon that they bring in. They decided they're all going to, well, besides study Trog, they're going to perform some kind of surgery on him. First of all, they're going to place a homing device uh, in his chest so they can track him. And then this is where the movie gets a little weird. Okay. Right before they do the operation, they take. Oh, wait, wait. This is where it gets weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is where it gets. So, but wait, wait. Before it gets really, really strange. First, they, they give him that implant that they can track him. And then, like I said, this is where it goes down this weird rabbit hole. Yeah. Somehow they're going to give him an operation that will enable him to speak so the first thing they do is they hook him up to these all these different machines and it really is not clear what the, what the reason for all these machines are right <laughs> but they they put these you know, these things on his head and 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 they have him watch slides of dinosaur skeletons like from the museum of natural history they're just flashing these slides and and he's looking at them, and then he goes into this weird trance, right? <laughs> and we've got this sort of spinning, bright blue. What do you, I don't know what you would call it. So it's this just I have no thing, idea. Right? I actually yeah. thought the copy that I was watching, uh, there might have been a problem because it just kind of does this weird kind of blue thing. And then we yeah. have this weird, I don't know if it's a flashback, a memory. Are we all, I don't know what that was, but it's so bizarre. It is. The idea is that 
it's supposed to be him remembering of what his life was like millions of years ago, right? Sure. Which, of course, right there, it's like, how could he possibly have lived millions of years? Even something that gets frozen in the ice doesn't live. I mean, granted, lots of monster movies got frozen in the ice and then came back to life, like The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and The Deadly Mantis and so forth. But here he was, a trog that was living in the time of the dinosaurs, which we all know never happened. Right, right. They were literally millions and millions of years apart. But apparently he had a really good memory of some very, very cool Ray Harryhausen animation. And so they've got (laughs) him. We're now we're now seeing Trog's memories of, of millions of years ago. And it is one of the highlights of the movie, as strange as it is, because what we are actually seeing are clips from Irwin Allen's The Animal World, which was made in the 60s and has these great dinosaur sequences animated by Willis O'Brien and Ray Harryhausen. And they're super cool. There's a, a fight between these two Allosauruses or I don't know what they are. They've got, they look like T-Rexes, but they have horns on their, on the, on their head and they fall off a cliff and they're little plastic dinosaurs that fall off a cliff. And then there's a whole sequence where the earth starts to explode and uh, volcano are exploding and lava and flowing and the dinosaurs get trapped in the lava. It's really cool just to be able to see that footage because I don't even know if the, if the movie, the animal world is available as far as like DVD or Blu-ray or anything like that. I, as far as I know, it isn't, it's cool. It's very cool. Stop motion animation. So if, if you're a stop motion animation fan and you've never seen this footage from, from the animal world, it's worth watching Trog. Just for it's pretty that, cool. It's, like, it's really it's neat. A yeah. three and a half or four minute sequence. And it ends the, the sequence ends with it cutting rather abruptly from molten lava to just this shot of a glacier. So apparently very quickly, everything went from molten hot to completely frozen. And the idea, I guess, it suggests that Trog somehow got frozen and that's the reason he's still around living in this cave all this time. So they bring him out of that and then they put him under again. They're saying that that was a success. No clue. I don't know what the success was of that experiment. Exactly. Right. But then there, but then the American uh, surgeon is just like, we are now ready to proceed to the next important part of our experiment. If this succeeds, Trog will have the power of speech. Okay, sure. Why not? Yeah, right? so, sure. <laughs> so they go in, they do this experiment, and when it's over, the daughter's name, by the way, is Anne. And and as he's he's laying on the on the recovery table, and as he's waking up, Anne walks into the room and like right there in front of where like the slideshow was. So the light is, is shining on her face and Trog looks at her and he, and he goes, Annie, Annie. And it is, it's such a beautiful moment. (laughs) (laughs) And the daughter's like, 
oh my god, Trog spoke, Trog spoke. And Joan Crawford, in her finest moment in the entire movie, walks over very dramatically and just says, yes, Trog spoke. And looks almost toward the camera as the scene fades out. <laughs> it's, it's just glorious. Oh, she is so glorious. wonderful in this. You know, what's so funny is that, like, you know, she gets a lot of shit about it because at that point her career was so finished mm -hmm. that the only work she could get was to, you know, to come over to England and work for Herman Cohen and for Freddie Francis, who was the director. Anyway, but she's really doing the best she can with the material. Oh, yeah. Because... The worst thing about Trog is the script. So, you know, you have actors like Joan Crawford and like Michael Goff. You know, they take the part. They have to do the best they can with what they're given. But you know what? All things considered, I mean, you can see that she's a little shaky at times. I, I noticed this last time I watched it that her hands uh, at times looked a little, little, little shaky. But you know what? She plays the role and she does it with about as much conviction as anybody could given that given that part. Oh, yeah. I, I had no yeah. complaints. You know, you mentioned earlier at the very beginning when she just calmly goes to get the Trank gun. Yeah. Uh, man, that's just awesome. Of course, that's what Joan Crawford would do. And she does it with such matter of fact, stupid men don't know what they're doing. I'm going to go take care. It, just, it, was, it felt very Joan Crawford to me. And mm -hmm. I loved it. I loved it. You know, it was a really a, a very special talent that certain actors had that they could take no matter how kind of insane and, and now crazy and nonsensical, unbelievable the dialogue would be, that if it is said with a certain amount of conviction, you can pull it off. Like Peter Cushing was the king of that. Oh, yeah. Right. Peter Cushing could take any kind of scientific mumble jumble, you know, the stuff that he had when he would talk about vampires as Van Helsing. He could deliver those lines and make you completely believe it. Sure. No matter how how crazy it was. But Karloff could do it. Uh, there was a lot of actors that just were so good at it, could just pull it off. I, I'm not saying that Joan was necessarily as good, um, but I think that in this film... She delivers those scientific lines as just about as best as anybody could. Sure. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, know? yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you're not going to get any arguments here. I totally agree with you. If they remade that movie with Meryl Streep, Meryl still would, wouldn't be any better than Joan was in Trog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but now I want to see that so badly. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, so Trog speaks. Not a lot. <laughs> no, he's vocalizing it, some things and that's it. Yeah. So they go back into court and she she's happy to report that now Trog has the power of speech. And because Trog has the power of speech, once he learns enough words, he can tell us all about uh, our history. Which, probably not that much because as far as I could tell, he's been living in a cave for a million years. <laughs> So it's not going to it's not like he's going to be talking about, you know, the Industrial Revolution and you know, <laughs> everything that happened while he was in a cave. Right. But uh, anyway, that they think that's a great idea. But Sam Murdoch is now gone really off the deep end. And that night, 
we see Sam Murdoch drive up to the research lab. He sneaks in and he parks his car very quietly and he he jumps a fence and he's got a crowbar and he, he goes in there. And the first thing he does is sneak up behind the one guard that's there and hits him over the head with the crowbar, knocks him out and grabs his keys. And he, he goes into the, uh, the room where they keep Trog and it, there's a whole bunch of your classic movie laboratory equipment in there. A lot of beakers and, and Bunsen burners and things set up. And Trog is in this cage that's locked. And uh, Murdoch, uh, he trashes the place. And I was watching this scene and I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, this scene, which they had to have done in one take, by the way. Oh, yeah. Must have been so much fun for Michael Guff. Because he gets to basically, and it's all in one, it's all in one shot too. He basically takes the, like he takes a chair and he smashes the lab equipment and then he throws another thing at the, he's just smashing everything in sight. It's all breaking. I didn't take notice to see if that was all just plastic though. I mean, you know, they, they fully in the sound of crashing glass. Sure. you know, it might have actually been unbreakable stuff that he was that he was throwing. Anyway, so he treasures the place to make it look like Trog did it. Then he goes over and he, and he unlocks the cage. And he takes the lock and he throws it at Trog and he leaves. He So he goes over to his car and he's about to get in his car and he sees that he's left his trunk open. Oh, by the way, there's another thing too. When he opened up the trunk the first time to get the crowbar, there's like, there's a couple of other items in there and it looked to me like, like a burlap sack and a, and a bunch of rope. And I was thinking to myself, I, hmm, I wonder what other things Sam Murdoch gets up to. <laughs> yeah. Like kidnapping and, you know, God knows what else, right? <laughs> so anyway, so he goes back to his car and he, he goes to, to, to close the trunk. And it's, the, it's one of my favorite shots and one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is that he closes the trunk and that reveals that Trog is right there w- looking really scary. Ah, and they've got this great shot of Michael Goff the camera looking right at him as he screams and puts his hands up. Trog jumps over the back of the truck and starts beating the bejesus out of him. And the reason I, I really loved this scene um, is because there are certain scenes in movies that I both look forward to and also kind of dread okay. at the same time. My favorite example of that would be in the movie Them, where I couldn't wait for the scene when James Whitmore saves the kids from the giant ants, but then gets killed by the giant ant right after saving them. Right. right. Okay. For Trog, this is that scene. Like I couldn't wait for the scene where Sam Murdoch gets surprised by Trog and gets killed. But I also kind of dreaded it because it meant that's Michael Goff's last scene in the movie. <laughs> Gotcha. Okay. For, here comes that. Here comes that scene, and then it would have been, when it was over, it'd be like, oh, all right, well, that's no more Michael Goff. Oh well. Um, <laughs> so he he just he he kills he kills Sam Murdoch, and he he throws him into the car, and that sets off the the car horn, 
the car horn is going and and Trog sort of it puts Trog into sort of a of a a trance. Joan Crawford and and the daughter and the the young man they come they come running out in their nightgowns and they find Trog standing there and they see that he's killed Sam Murdoch. And Joan says to the young man, "Go get my trank gun." And she turns off the horn. And the minute she turns off the horn, Trog comes out of the trance, and he knocks down the daughter and he knocks down the the young man and and he runs away. Trog, come back, Trog, no. <laughs> and he does this cool thing, he, like he does this sort of forward roll over the fence mm-hmm. and comes right back up on his feet. It was like it's one of the really cool sort of ape-like things he he does in the movie. Right? Yeah, yeah. But he, yeah. He, so he walks off. He walks off into the uh, into the night into a forest, and he falls asleep in the in the woods at night. And when he wakes up, it's morning, and uh, he hears uh, some noises. He turns out that he's fallen asleep right near a park. Before he goes to the park, he goes in. To town. Oh now, yeah, because uh, town scene. Now this is wow. This is this is wild because the movie, you know, has blood in it. Mm-hmm. Definitely the the first kid that gets killed by Trog in the cave. There's blood. Yeah, certainly when when Michael Goff gets killed. But the movie isn't shockingly gory. No, it's not. But right until this moment, uh, this is one of the scenes. By the way. That, like I was talking about earlier about the CBS late night movie, Mm -hmm. they would cut this scene almost entirely. Mm. So it's very early in the morning and then the shops are just starting to open these little shops in this little cobblestone street or whatever. And here comes Trog kind of trotting in and, and he's hungry. We meet these two shop owners who are opening. One guy is a butcher and he's this little sort of Wally Shawn looking guy. And he's opening up his butcher shop, and next to him is the guy who is like the grocer. He's putting out all this fruit and vegetables out in front of his his shop. They both go back into their shops, and along comes Trog, and he sees the fruit there. So he walks up to it, and he starts eating the fruit. And the guy, the grocer inside, like he's looking through the window, and all he sees are these hands grabbing fruit. And he just thinks it's some guy stealing fruit from him. So he, he goes out to stop him. Hey, you, you don't take that. Ah! <laughs> Close up of him screaming as Trog, of course, attacks him. And the, the little guy next door hears the screaming. And he, he looks through his window and he sees Trog picking up the guy over his head and throwing him through the window of the grocery store. (laughs) Well, and then the shot of the guy laying there, he's covered in, in blood and cuts from the glass and he's lying there with his eyes open. He's dead. Uh, the little guy, little 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 butcher guy. uh, He's so, he's so funny because he's kind of this mousy little guy. He goes over and he grabs this big butcher knife, this big like meat chopping cleaver. <laughs> and as Trog just sort of walks by, walks by his shop, the little guy comes out and starts like hitting him with the cleaver and cutting it, cutting his arms. And Trog grabs him, and in just the strangest death in this entire movie. 
Trog looks up and sees all these slabs of beef hanging on the hooks uh, inside this butcher shop. And Trog decides to pick the guy up and <laughs> lift him up and and basically impales him on one of these butcher hooks and then just leaves him there. And they have a shot of the guy as the blood sort of is trickling down onto the sawdust on the floor of this guy hanging there with his, uh, you know, big slabs of beef. It's actually pretty horrifying. I know we've seen blood in this. You know, we saw Michael Goff. We saw the guy at the beginning. This was very kind of is out of character the best way to put it? Because it just seemed to come out of the blue. Yeah. This feels like, yeah. you know, I mean, I know it's 1970, so the exploitation thing is starting to pick up. But yeah, I just, what is happening here? I don't know. It was just really odd. Yeah, it just seems strange that this prehistoric man who previously would just pick up things and throw them or beat you with his fists would suddenly have the thinking process of going, oh, there's a meat hook. Uh, I, you know what? Maybe I'll just hang this guy up on this meat hook. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> it really doesn't. It does not ring true for the character of Trog. Mm-hmm. And I gotta, you gotta wonder if like Joe Cornelius was like, Freddie, Freddie, can I talk to you for a moment? I mean, do you really think that I would <laughs> hang a guy on a hook as opposed to just beat him with my fists? I mean, it seems kind of strange, isn't it? <laughs> Or if he was just like, yeah, whatever, okay, <laughs> do it. <laughs> it just was really, yeah, it's just like, yeah, uh. it's very strange. I remember also there were photos of this in Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. There were there were shots of this scene, which was always frustrating when it was was shown on Channel Two because we never got to see that on Channel Two. Mm, even okay. even the murder of Sam Murdoch. They cut that, too. Hmm. They showed him beating him up a little bit, but they cut the shot of him being thrown into the car where his face is all bloodied and, and so forth. Um, so, yeah, some CBS, they suck. I'm sorry, but they were, they were, <laughs> Dracula's Risen from the Grave, they cut, like, the entire ending of it. Oh, <laughs> man. Valleys of Guanji, they would cut any scene where Guanji was, like, actually eating somebody. Like Gaji was eating Carlos off the horse, or the guy in the in the uh, in the arena. They would cut huh. all that all that stuff out too. They were just awful. I was like, what's the point of showing the movie, right? Anyway, so Trog kills those people in town, and then a guy almost runs him over with a car. The guy honks his horn, and that didn't seem to affect Trog the way the horn did when he killed Murdoch. But whatever. So the guy honks his horn, and Trog uh, gets mad and picks up the car, turns it over on its side, and it immediately <laughs> blows up. I don't know. <laughs> uh, as cars do in movies. Of course, just like that. Just like that. I mean, let's, geez, man. If that was that easy to blow up a car, I don't think I would ever get in a car. <laughs> because all, all it takes is one good bump, right? One good caveman Oof. and you're done. <laughs> yeah, well, so that's the destruction of the town. So he, he goes to the park and all the kids go run screaming and the, the mothers who are there watching their kids grab their kids and run. And But there's this one little girl who is at the top of the slide and Trog walks to the slide and just as she's coming down the slide, <laughs> great shot of the little girl screaming 
And Freddie Francis put the camera at the top of the slide as it was the POV of the little girl coming down the slide just as Trog like comes in and to, to grab her. Uh, it's a great shot. I, but uh, here's an interesting fun fact. Okay. That little girl was an actress, um, a child actress named Chloe. Oh, shoot. I remember her last name now. And she made only a few films, but one of the other films was the house that dripped blood. Okay. That's uh, she, uh, Chloe Franks. Chloe Franks. Chloe Franks. And, and the uncanny, which is, uh, you know, Peter Cushing's in that. So, you know, yeah. Um, so in, in uh, House that Drip Blood, uh, she's sort of, a little, sort of an evil little girl, like Christopher Lee's daughter, I think, um, if I re- remember correctly. I haven't seen that in a while, so not exactly sure. Uh, but so there's Chloe Franks. And so he basically he picks her up because she reminds him of the little doll that he played with when he was in the cage at the research lab. Mm-hmm. And he carries her off and the mother of course, screams and Trog takes her to the cave where they found him to begin with. We're now barreling toward the end of the film. Yeah. We're, we're now going to go to that fifth segment of so many similar uh, monster movies. So he goes to the cave and he's got the little girl in the cave and he's, and he's not harming her. He's treating her very, very nicely. And, you know, he's stroking her hair and everything like that. He's not, he's obviously not going to do any, any harm to her, but now he's killed, you know, four people and they're going to bring in the military. They spend all this time earlier in the movie putting the transmitter in his chest so they can track him. But they don't bother using it when they're <laughs> at the end of the movie. Like they just sort of guess that that's where he is. I mean, it's I don't know. It's, it's so strange. Yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> The, so the cranky police inspector and they, they they bring in the army guys now and and of course Dr. Brockton they're all there and Dr. Brockton is begging let me go into the cave I can bring out that, that girl safely and everyone's just like no you can't do that and we're gonna you know no matter what we're gonna kill him but he's so important to science and and they're like um yeah sorry but he's killed people we got to kill him now yeah uh, so. I'm kind of reminded, actually, of Eric Braden in Escape from the Planet of the Apes, that Dr. Otto Haas line, because because Sam Murdoch is sort of the Otto Haas line of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they tell her, no, you can't go in the cave. But she goes ahead and sneaks into the cave and she gets in there. There's this great moment where she's walking through the cave and suddenly Trog jumps out. And she just goes, Trog! <laughs> and he's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> it's like, well. <laughs> Oops, didn't know it was you. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the child, Trog. And he does. He doesn't like, uh, he's just like, yeah, okay, here, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> hands her to him. And she takes the little girl out and hands her to the mother. And then at that point, it's we're going to go in and kill him now. And she's terribly sad. So the army, like, basically blow a hole in the in the side of the cave, not even worrying about, like, what other kind of trouble that might cause. (laughs) (laughs) And the army men go running in and Trog, you know, throws stalactites at them. And uh, and they're, they're shooting, they're shooting like rounds and rounds and rounds. And finally, they shoot a machine gun at him. He falls and he lands on a stalagmite 
and it's sticking up through his chest and, and he dies. The end, we we see Dr. Brockton as the, the reporter guy walks up to her and says, you know, he's, he's so tactless. He's just like, Dr. Brockton, now that the troglodyte has been destroyed, do you have anything to say? And she just looks at him and she pushes his microphone away and she walks off and there's a shot of her walking off into the distance and she turns around the side of a truck and disappears and then boom we go to the end and then the the credits start to roll and that is the beauty of trog the beauty of trog you know <laughs> i didn't know what to expect going into this i know that you love this movie you've talked about it a lot online uh when you were here for the king kong documentary it came mm -hmm. up during the q a here being the screening that you had at the hollywood theater a few years ago whenever i mention you and trog in the same sentence to mutual friends like chris Wallace, he's like oh yeah frank will talk about that for a long time so i mean i know you love this movie right uh so chris, i didn't <laughs> chris knows me so well right yeah I, I was at a i was at his place for the halloween party this year and mentioned it and he's like oh yeah <laughs> So I know you love this film. So I, I wanted to have you on the show to talk about it. And like I said, I purposely waited until I knew you could make it happen. And I watched it this morning and it is definitely a lot of fun. I had just recently watched Straight Jacket the other day. So I'm watching her towards the end of her career doing these genre pictures and Man, I loved her in them. I, I know she probably considered them bottom of the barrel, not really happy with where her career was, that sort of thing. But man, she really gave us some cool stuff. And her performance in this, like I said at the beginning with the gun, when after everybody tells her, no, you can't go in the cave to get the little girl. Yeah, okay, whatever. And as soon as everybody turns away from her, she just walks right in anyway. She doesn't care. You know, mm -hmm. she's, she's, she's Joan, and she's taken nothing from nobody. And I loved her in it. It is a lead role. I mean, it is, mm -hmm. it is the protagonist. She is the person that everything happens basically because of her, mm -hmm. including the fact that she's kind of responsible for those deaths. She says to the police inspector, you know, you have Sam Murdoch to thank for that. And the police inspector says, and he's been punished for that, but you also have a hand in this. Mm -hmm. And that is true. You'd think you would have much better security around a, a million-year-old ape man that you've got in your facility. But um, <laughs> Well, in her response, too, when he says, you know, he's already paid for that and you just want more blood, you know, she calls him out on it. I, I can see why, probably on paper, it didn't seem that bad. Now, I, I know I've read that she considered it her worst movie and it might have been the fact that it was some somewhat humiliating there were stories that she had to change her clothes in her car while on set but other people that worked on the movie said that that was absolutely not true that she actually had a professional trailer and that's one of the things about the movie too that i do have to point out yes the script is ridiculous but the movie itself technically speaking is well done Freddie Francis did a good job of directing the movie for what it is. Like, it's not sloppy. No, not at all. You know what I mean? The photography, the shots are obviously well thought out. It's not, a, It's let's put it this way, it's not the cheap movie that a lot of people seem to refer to it as. There's money spent there. Oh, yeah. Uh, whether it's from the caves, 
you know, I granted there are sometimes like, you know, I said the, 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 the cardboard video camera or whatever, but that was, you know, more to protect any, any kind of real machinery, but they obviously had a full movie crew making that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't some, you know, gorilla shoot. <laughs> that would be funny though. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, some fly by night kind of thing. I mean, you know, that was, there was money spent on that movie. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And it, so, if nothing else, it looks good. Like you said, it's shot. Well, Freddie yeah. Francis is a great director of photography, you know, Academy award winner for crying out loud for, yeah, for some of this right. stuff. So, you know, it looks good as well as, having all the tropes of monster movie stuff that we love so much. Talk about King Kong having some echoes in this uh, Revenge of the Creature. I even picked up a little bit of Jaws with the, with the mother coming after uh, Joan Crawford. You know, it's like, this is your oh, fault. Right. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things in here that yeah. to, to, lo- to hold on to and love. I think the thing is that, again, it, it was a movie I saw in my magic window. Mm-hmm. And so I loved it then. And then as I grew older, I did realize what its shortcomings were, but that did not stop it from being fun for me. For all the reasons I've talked about this whole time, talking about the movie, making fun of the movie, I still get great enjoyment from it. And I think that's what movies are for. Yes. Especially monster movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if you're not having fun watching them, what's the point? Yeah. You know, what? what's the point if you're not going to have a good time? And this movie gives you a good time. It's, yeah. it's got you know, some questionable things, but it never shies away from it. It, it knows what it is. I think yeah. Joan knew what it was too. When she was in the movie, you talk about that last shot where she just kind of walks away. Right. I, I have, oh. you know, I would imagine that's how she felt at the end of the shooting. Just I'm done walking off into yeah. the sunset and that's it. You know? Well, it's kind of nice that that is actually her last moment on film ever is that, that her walking away from it all. I just remembered something else, too. This is kind of interesting. Yeah. All right, two quick things. Number one is I was on yeah social media one day, and lo and behold, somebody posted these pictures of these little six-inch action figures, Trog, Dr. Brockton, and Chloe Franks. And they were really well sculpted. They were really good. You could have Trog either with his arms up where he's holding a rock or you could bring his arms down and he could be holding the Chloe Franks character, the little girl. And the Joan Crawford character has her fists sort of up where it, look, <laughs> where it looks like she's going, Trog! <laughs> so I immediately was like, like, where did you get that? And uh, the guy came back to me and said that he actually made them, that he created them. He did them, them uh, the way they, everybody does it now, making little plastic figures, computer generated, uh, basically. And I was just like, well, I have to have those. <laughs> and so he, he told me the price. I was just like, I, that day I was like PayPal'd him. I was like, I need these. Uh, so he was like, yeah, I'll get right on him. I'll, I'll send him out to you. And a week later, I received my little Dr. Brockton, Trog, and little Chloe Franks. And they are they are uh, part of my collection that I shall never part with. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> now, the other thing that's really kind of fascinating is I think I was, a, I was writing an article about Trog for Blumhouse.com. And looking for photos and stuff like that, any behind the scenes kind of stuff I could find, photos I could find. 
And one thing I came across that was really kind of fascinating is that several years ago, a play troupe in England did a stage musical version of Trog, all played by female impersonators. So Trog was played by a female impersonator. <laughs> uh, Joan Crawford was a female impersonator. Every character was was played by female impersonators. And it was a musical. Now, unfortunately, I have never been able to get an audio version of it to hear what the songs were like. But I just love that idea so much. I just thought, how fun would that? It's the perfect movie to do something like that with. You know, I could I could just imagine what the songs were. But (laughs) that sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That just sounds amazing. <laughs> so if anybody, if anybody out there knows anything more about that production, uh, any of the listeners of Monster Kid Radio, if you, you know anything more about it, please contact me because I would love to know more. I would love to know. Oh, yeah, me too. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll uh, put the call out, listeners, if, if you have anything on That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> so, again, one more time, I just have to I just have to say Michael Goff. You're a king. You're a king among overactors. You are, <laughs> of course, you know, many years later, most people know him as Alfred the Butler in the uh, Burton Batman movies. Actually, the first sure. four Batman uh, movies, mm-hmm. um, starting with, mm-hmm. with uh, the Michael Keaton Batman. He was Alfred the Butler, and he was very restrained as Alfred the Butler. He was quite good, in fact. Um, yeah, I think he was only one of two actors to appear in all four of those films. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, the commissioner being the other one. But, uh, you know, yeah. he, you know he, po- he would pop up in other Tim Burton movies from time to time. Sure. And of course, he was in the original Horror of Dracula um, with mm-hmm. Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, where he played Arthur. Uh, he was in the Hammer version of Phantom of the Opera. Again, mm-hmm. spitting poison as a villain. He's one of those actors, kind of like Whit Bissell. There's a, there's a couple of other ones that, whenever he would turn up in a movie, I would be happy. I'd be like, oh, good. At least Michael Goff is in this movie. <laughs> uh, the Boys from Brazil. He shows up uh, in The Boys from Brazil with one of the actresses from Taste the Blood of Dracula, whoever the lead was in that. I'm blanking on her name at the moment. He was a working actor, he worked all the time. And Trog is just one of those movies that I'm sure he did for lunch money or as a favor to Herman Cohen. And I couldn't be happier that he did it. I love the Trog makeup. I love the design of that. I mean, I know it's a little silly in in terms of the skin color matching, like you mentioned earlier. But I I do adore it, and I love the articulation of the mouth. But Michael Goff is really... (laughs) <laughs> the special effect of the film. Oh, yeah. he's just so, oh, oh man, he's just so like you said, spitting venom. He's like a cobra, just like oh, it's evil, and we got to shut it down, destroy the monster, man. <laughs> and I'm sure oh, he's I just don't a treat. Know anyone who knew him personally, actors like that who play the most villainous characters tend to be the nicest people in real life. You know, oh, sure. so it would not surprise me at all. If like Karloff and in Peter Cushing, Michael Goff was just as sweet as pie. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Vincent Price, you know. (laughs) So there, there. I talked as much Trog as I can in one sitting. It doesn't mean I won't talk about Trog more (laughs) some other day. (laughs) But uh, for today, I I think I'm Trogged out for for the moment. 
You know, when we first started chatting before I hit record, we were talking about 70s sci-fi and how it's, it's all, there's a lot of really good 70s sci-fi and horror. And to me, it always feels a little more dangerous than what had come before. There are choices being made in some of this science fiction, like uh, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. I mean, the way that movie mm-hmm. ends. What? I, I yeah. no. That would not be that would not happen in the eighties. That would not happen in the nineties. It's very unique to the seventies. And I feel like Trog's got a few of those elements too, even if they come out of the blue, like the meat hook bit. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a sense of danger in some of these films that I really respond well to. Yeah. So you know, I'm I'm to have an opportunity to talk about some good seventies genre cinema that still has the monster movie isms that we love as monster kids. I mean, this has been a It was train. also the end of that era of horror movies because it wasn't long after that. I mean, we'd already had night of the living dead and we then here comes chainsaw massacre and here comes a last house on Mm -hmm. the left. And you know, the carpenter and Craven and Toby Hooper and so forth. And, and that's when horror definitely turned into a different kind of horror. So these movies still were more fun to watch and mm-hmm. not so not so realistic and maybe that's part of the reason they're they're, they're more fun you know what i mean uh, they're not yeah, so yeah there's horrifying. like a um, there's a sense of escapism to them still yeah, that, you, you know, you, you start to see like, I think like psycho is like no pun intended, a watershed moment where we start to see the real horrors are the people. And, you know, it's really hard to go back to being scared of people in suits when you got the guy next door stabbing you in a shower. Right. And then, you know, that continues to night of the living dead to Texas chainsaw to, you mentioned last house on the left. I'll start bringing that one up when I talk about this, where things just get a little bit more, real mm-hmm. i suppose yeah i, I yeah. don't know if that yeah. makes much I mean, sense to folks it's absolutely but, it's playing playing it as, yeah. as if it's really you, you no longer will you have that that dialogue i was talking about earlier that people like peter cushing could just ring off and uh, make it sound so uh, convincing that went away and what replaced it was this gritty real life horror um i mean mm-hmm. granted there's you know there's there's exceptions to that but by and oh, large, of this time period was the end of that era. And what a note to go out on, right? The <laughs> truck. <laughs> Do, who did the suit design? Do you know? Because I, I love that head. I love the articulation of the mouth. I really liked how that was done. It was Like I said, it was one of the guys that had worked on 2001. And it's part of the reason that it it's obviously looks so much like. <laughs> oh, uh, Charles <laughs> Parker was the guy's name. Okay. Uh, he's the one that gets all of the credit and all of the blame at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm guessing that probably with the budget he was given, mm-hmm. that was what he could do. And I yeah. wouldn't have it any other way myself. You, you mentioned kind of jokingly, you know, if they remade this movie, it's like, man, I don't, if they do, they'll screw up the way it looks. Cause I love the way Trog looks. Yeah, right. Exactly. Hey, look, you know what? If uh, you guys out there listening, if you love Trog, you know, look me up on social media and tell me. I, I love to hear from fellow fellow Troggers. We're going to call <laughs> ourselves that. We're going to be we're going to be called Troggers now. Not Troggies. Troggers. There needs to be like a Facebook group, you know, the Troggers, yeah. you know. That's like <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you can find Frank on Facebook and I'm sure a few other places online as well, including damndirtygeeks.com. Yes. 
Damn Dirty Damn Dirty Geeks. I can't even say the name of my own podcast. <laughs> DamnDirtyGeeks.com is our website where you can listen to our podcast, which is a really fun podcast. It's very similar in many ways to Monster Kid Radio. We always have like really fun guests, you know, like Greg Nicotero and Dana Gould and so forth come on and talk about their experiences in the movie business. Um, most of the time we like to talk about genre movies, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're not limited to it, but mostly we do. Come listen to us. Um, it's a fun, it's a really fun uh, podcast. You'll laugh a lot. We tend to laugh quite a lot there. And we are, we do have a Facebook page as well, Damn Dirty Geeks. So um, look us up. Come, come join the fun. I'll make sure there's links in the show notes to everything Frank's got going on. Anything special coming up on the podcast listeners can look forward to? Uh, our next episode uh, is part two. Uh, we had uh, we had a sit down with Julianne Emery, who is a wonderful actress who has been on like some of the most amazing shows on television right now, like Fargo and Better Call Saul. And she was on the last three seasons of the show that just ended finally called Preacher which was on AMC, which is the most bonkers, whacked out show I think I've ever seen. (laughs) It's it's about as crazy as things get. But she was also in a movie I wrote called I Hate Kids that came out this year. And so we're going to have part two of that. And then we're we're just lining up our, our guests for this next year. We're going into our, my God, is it fourth year, I think? We've been going for a little while, which is great. I yeah. mean, I, I love the show. So the problem with us is because there's four of us. We started with five. One of us went off to do his own thing, which was cool. Uh, but there's four of us, and it, it's sort of like herding cats when you have to you have to get us all together on the same night, and our guest is also available the same night. So uh, that's why we don't we don't have episodes coming out every week. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but qu- you know what? Quality over quantity. I always say. Okay, there you go. There you yeah. go. And I also like to say I recently was back up there in Portland and I got to see you. Um, I'm staying with, with my friend, Chris Wallace, and it was a great pleasure to see you again. I might be coming back up there very soon. So if I do, we, we definitely need to get together and talk about monsters as we, <laughs> as we love to do. Always, always. Are you coming up for a screening or anything or just visiting? No, I think we're going to come up and just visit, uh, awesome. just, you know, stay with, stay with Chris and Jill and, um, and, explore more of Portland because we actually sort of fell in love with Portland, uh, my wife and I, when we were up there last time. So it's a lot to love. There's a lot to love up here. So, yeah. I mean, not just me, but you know, there's, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And on that note, <laughs> okay. Frank, thanks again, man. My pleasure, my friend. Huge thanks to Frank for being part of the show, man. To talk about Prague, that was a real treat. I know it was a little bit more old school in terms of how we presented the information about Trog. Kind of did a, a plot synopsis, a beat-by-beat breakdown of the film, along the way providing our commentary on what we experienced and what we felt about the movie. And I enjoyed it. It was a nice return to form for me here on Monster Kid Radio. It was nice to kind of get back to doing a long-form plot breakdown like that. I appreciate Frank taking me on that journey and exposing me to Trog, or is it Trog being exposed to me? Either way, probably shouldn't talk about that anymore. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. Frank, thank you so much. Now, I know that in the conversation I had with Frank, he referenced seeing pictures of Trog in Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. But before that, you heard Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, where he stated that the movie itself was never covered 
in the magazine itself, it did get mentioned here and there a couple of times. I did some checking myself because now I'm really curious. Was Trog mentioned in Famous Monsters or was it covered in another magazine? I know there was another magazine called Four Monsters Only that did cover Trog. And I wonder if maybe that's where the photos were seen. Either way, Frank, Kenny, maybe shed some light on this for us. And if you want to hear more, Frank, just pop on over to DamnDirtyGeeks.com and let them know that you heard them here on Monster Kid Radio. Thanks again, Frank. Name, Cornelius, adult chimpanzee, speaks English. Name, Zira, female chimpanzee, practices medicine. Name, baby Milo, infant chimpanzee. Secret that can destroy mankind. They come from an incredible planet of apes. They survived a war beneath the planet of apes. Now it's Earth 1973, and you're in for a surprise. Are they friendly visitors or invaders from the future? Why does the president's advisor want them shot? What is baby Milo's incredible secret? All the surprising answers are an escape from the planet of the apes. All new from 20th Century Fox, rated G all ages. Escape from the planet of the apes. King Kong. The horror picture of all time. Don't let him get me. A beautiful girl torn from the arms of her lover by a jungle beast. King Kong. See a battle between prehistoric monsters on an island time forgot. A nightmare jungle creature from the primeval past stalking midnight streets. My baby! It's got my baby! See the thrill classic of all time. The biggest gorilla picture ever made in motion picture history. The jungle epic that can never be duplicated. See RKO's original... King Kong. King Kong! King Kong! That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I appreciate everybody hanging in there with me. If you can't tell, I'm still fighting some sort of a cold. Whatever it was that I had in my nose has moved into the back of my throat and down into my chest a little bit, which is the best way to celebrate Thanksgiving. Wait, no, it's not. Anyway, I appreciate you being patient with me as I muddled my way through the show this week. I had a grand time talking about Trog and putting all the segments together, as always, knowing that you guys and gals are out there listening to me blather on about monster movies with my friends. So thank you. If you want to know more about Monster Kid Radio, head over to monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find links to everything that we talked about in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. There will be links to the Damn Dirty Geeks. There will be links to everything that Dr. Tongue talked about. There will be Amazon links to take you to Amazon to pick up some items that we've talked about here on the show. Just use the Amazon affiliate link because we get like a penny or two off of those sales. And speaking of Amazon and a penny, I want to talk about something real quick here. I did bring it up on Facebook and you know, movies streaming on Amazon is something that Christopher R. Mim has been talking about a lot lately. And that's because... Amazon doesn't pay very well when it comes to streaming movies. You know how much money they get? Well, as of right now, four cents per hour. But guess what? On January 1st, it gets knocked down to one penny per watched hour, which is really hard for a filmmaker to bring in some real money. So Chris and I and some other people that are part of the Monster Conservancy, head over to SaveMonsters.com to learn more about that, have been talking about 
you know, what can we do to create a, a more self-sustaining, independent system to get content to you and honestly make a buck or two? I mean, the bottom line is, and Chris posted about this on Facebook, without income coming from his movies, he cannot continue to make movies. Kind of makes sense, right? So we're just kind of looking at a couple of things. If anybody out there has any experience putting together Roku channels or curated outlets on the internet for streaming, maybe even building a successful YouTube network, whatever. If there's anybody out there who has any experience doing that or has any ideas or suggestions for me and Chris and the other monster conservancers, please feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is on our website. Let me get back to the outro. Monsterkidradio at gmail.com is how you can get a hold of us. That is listed on the website right underneath our voicemail phone number. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. You know, I'm also going to make sure there's a link to the Kickstarter campaign that we talked about with Anthony Wendell last week. Santa Claus Conquers Monos, The Hands of Fate, the novel. There is a Kickstarter campaign running right now. He has hit about one-fifth of his goal. There are 27 days left to back this project. Highly recommend you check it out. I think you're going to find a reward that you like. And, I mean, Anthony's one of ours, you know, and the novel sounds amazing. Coming up next week on the show, we are beginning a themed month here on Monster Kid Radio, the first of three themed months. That's right. We are doing three months in a row focusing on different themes. Next month, I think people have been listening to the show for a year, will know what it is. It's Dan Sember. Dan Sember is where we celebrate these genre contributions of Dan Curtis, the man behind Dark Shadows and a whole bunch of other really cool stuff. Well, we're going to be talking about him next month. And next week's episode has returning guest Jim Beard coming to the show to talk a little bit about what he's doing and some things that he's done to contribute to the extended Dan Curtis verse Curtis universe, DCU. No, can't say DCU. Um, he wrote a cold Jack book. So we're going to talk about that. And then later on this month, we've got some other Dan Curtis specific content lined up. And should I go ahead and tell you what the next two theme months are going to be? Yeah, why not? January is the Satanic Rites of January, where for five weeks, we're going to talk about movies that uh, make it easier for us to dance with the devil. Let's just say that. And then after that, February is Flashback February. We've been going for over 400 episodes. We've talked about a lot of really cool movies. And while there are still many, many movies and topics to tackle waiting for us, some of these movies that we've talked about in the past, well, we want to talk about again. So I'm having some people come back in and we're going to talk about some movies that have already been discussed here on the show. Different guest, same movie, flashback February. I've got custom posters made up for Dan Sember, the Satanic Rites of January and flashback February. You can find them over at monsterkidradio.net as well as links to Professor Frenzy's podcast, the Professor Frenzy show and Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shop and Zombie Zen A Go Go. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Story is copyright 2019, Jerry Green. And the song, The Unnamed, is copyright 2018, Zombie Zen, 
a go-go. You can find them over at zombiesandagogo.bandcamp.com to check out their EP, also called Zombies and a Go-Go, and pick up all five songs, name your price, download the digital album, and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate that, and if not, happy Thursday. Ciao. Harvey, want anything special for your birthday? Just a decent cup of coffee. You're kidding. I'm serious. Honey, your coffee's undrinkable. That's pretty harsh. Well, so's your coffee.